street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. Please follow me on Twitter at MagnaBosco or on Facebook and YouTube at MagnaBosco210. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hey, it's Anthony here. I thought it would be interesting to take a recent encounter and break it down and use it as a tutorial to show that conducting street epistemology is not all that difficult. In fact, it's quite fun to get out and talk to people. I also hope that this tutorial, this breakdown video, will inspire people to get out and try it. It's really not that difficult. So if you haven't already watched my encounter with Paul, I'd recommend pausing this video, look in the comments below, and click the link to watch the encounter in its entirety first. I think you'll get a lot more out of it if you do that before just jumping into this tutorial. I'm interviewing people about uh, their God belief. About my God belief? Yeah, I just, I just timed it for like five minutes. Okay, so there's quite a lot going on here. I'm standing out in front of a state college courtyard with a sign that says, how did you come to your God belief? Let's discuss, discuss it in five minutes. Now, I'm out there with a the camera and the sign and I have a little timer, but I found that by by right at the start limiting the conversation to five minutes you get far more people that are interested in stopping to talk with you and that increases your chances for having a good deep meaningful conversation it also shows that you respect their time and you're not going to hold them for much longer than that i've also found that people really enjoy talking about their beliefs and it seemed to have caught paul's attention here are you a student here question before the interview are you a of course uh, no, are, are your answers? Here. I'm staff here. Oh, you're staff. Okay. One of the first thing Paul wants to know is, am I a Christian? Now, if you look at any of my earlier videos, I couldn't wait to tell people that I was a non-believer. But what I found is that gushing about how atheist you are and, and that type of thing really kind of sets the conversation back when you're performing street epistemology. It's really not relevant because the discussion is not about you. It's about your interlocutor. So I try to avoid answering those questions or at least postponing them and I make an attempt to do so here. Would my answer to that question have any bearing on your answers to mine? Could we just keep it to five and then at, at the end I'll answer any question yeah, you have? No Alright, cool. Okay, so Paul agrees to wait until the end of the five minutes before he can ask me any questions about me. Now that was very gener generous of him to do that. Now because I made that agreement, and you want to be honest, you want to be sincere, you want to be open. It's very important that at the end of that five minutes, you should be willing to talk with him about any questions that he has since we made that deal. My name is Anthony. Paul. Nice Paul. To hey, pleasure to meet you too. Get the person's name. Now I'm terrible with names, so not only will I ask the person's name, but I'll, I'll probably repeat it back to him. I might say, well, how do you spell it if, it's a, it, could, if it could potentially be spelled a different way? And also try to use the person's name frequently in the conversation, not to the point where it's annoying, but when you're trying to drive home a point or maybe get their attention, by using their name, I found that it really kind of gets their attention. I've read once that people love hearing their, their name being said, and I'm trying to leverage that. So uh, you believe in a God, it sounds like? Absolutely, I do. Okay. Strength-wise, if 0% was I don't believe and 100% was 100% absolutely believe. Absolutely believe God, no doubt about it, no more very early on try to establish a scale now I only have five minutes that I've agreed to talk with Paul about his belief 
you need to know where he's at on the belief scale. And you can come up with any scale. You can go A to Z or 0 to 10. I like going 0 to 100%. If Paul came back and said that he believes in God uh, 20%, then it's going to be a completely different conversation. Now he comes back with 100% and he's a Christian. Oh, wow. Look at nature itself. Just looking at a tree looking makes you conclude. Tree, at anything convinces me that there was a God that made it. It just didn't happen by some hmm. explosion or circumstance. That they, Big Bang Theory, I just don't buy it. Just, it doesn't fit. Okay. Fit. There's too much archaeological hmm. evidence to prove that there's, uh, there was a God. Wow. So Paul's saying a lot here, right? He says, look at the trees. I could just look at something and know that, it can, that I can conclude that my God exists. There's archaeological evidence for it. You know, uh, look at the Big Bang. That doesn't jive with my understanding of how everything came together. There's so much there to like jump at and just start tearing apart if you're familiar with counter-apologetics. But street epistemology is not about debate. If I go in there and just boom, 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 knock off those three things that he just brought up, it's not going to help move the conversation forward. It's going to close Paul down. It's going to show to him that I'm not interested in, interested in learning about him or conversing with him. It illustrates that I want, to, I want to have a battle with him, and that's not what I want to do. I want to understand him. I want to, I want to help him. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like evidence is a big part of your belief. So what I did there is rather than targeting all those little things, I took a step back and said, well, generally speaking, Paul's interested in evidence. So let's let's clarify that and let's see how much evidence is a part of his belief. Uh, well, I use that I use that to confirm what I believe by mm -hmm. faith. There are certain things that can't be explained oh. away by science, or certain things can't be explained away by uh, guessing or whatnot. There's just yeah. too many things in this world that uh, convinced me that there was a supreme being that made it and hmm. has sustained it. Faith is a part of it, it sounds like. So, Now that was somewhat interesting there. Paul says that when he looks at evidence, it helps confirm his beliefs. It's completely contradictory to the scientific method where when you're trying to figure out if something's real, you'll actually look at the evidence first and then arrive at your conclusion. And Paul is operating in a different manner. He also mentions faith a little bit here. I'm adjusting the camera and it's making some popping noises so you might not be able to hear it very well. Now that he's introduced faith, I have to sort of figure out, well, how much of this belief uh, that Paul is basing it on is, is evidence? How, how much is he basing it on evidence? And how much of a factor is faith? If we were to pie chart this out, like what percent would be evidence and what percent would be faith for you? Well, I think everything has to be about faith. I mean, I love that question. Now, there's probably multiple ways to answer to ask that, but just asking, can we pie chart this out? How much of it is evidence for you and how much of it is faith? Paul may have never really even thought about that. I mean, who even thinks about pie charting out their belief, right? But by asking the question, it's causing him to re-examine how he's arrived at his beliefs with, in, in particular regard to evidence and faith. You can't really put a percentage on these things. Uh, is it all faith for you? Uh, to I mean, me, you, you, you majority, mentioned evidence. To me, majority is faith. Okay. Um, Maybe we should I focus on. I do like it when I see archaeological evidence that does come and confirm what I believed all along. Uh, let's okay. Put it that way. I, I got that. Okay. Let's put it that way. I do like it when I discover evidence that confirms what I've already come to believe. 
Now, this signifies a bias. And I can't blame Paul for that. I mean, a lot of people do this. But I would gather, I would guess that most people don't realize that they're doing it. And maybe if Paul were ever to watch this video or mull about, think about the conversation, mull it over, he might discover that he is looking at evidence to fit his belief. Let's focus on faith in it since that seems to be a big part of your belief, Paul. And I don't want to ever make an assumption. So what is your definition of faith? Okay, so I was at that crossroads. Do I go towards evidence or do I go towards faith? Now, Paul said that faith is everything. Uh, I like it when I see evidence that, that confirms the faith that I have. But for me, faith is the biggest part of it. Okay, now I know exactly which direction to go to. But there are so many different definitions of faith. People equate it with trust or hope. They have called it just simply a belief. People will say that it's believing in something where you can't see it or you can't touch it or it's not detectable in any way. I've, I've heard so many different definitions. So rather than force my definition on the person, I'll just ask them, what is your definition of it? And again, I don't think a lot of people really think about their definition of it. I've had people say, I'm not really sure, you know, can you help me out with that? And I'll propose a definition, but you should try to avoid that if you can. And if, if possible, really try to get the interlocutor to explain to you what their definition of faith is. Do you have a definition of it? Well, faith is, is believing in something that you can't see, you can't necessarily feel, um, that has made or created this universe. Okay. Hmm. Um, there's this, you just have to accept certain things by faith. You can't, you can't prove it scientifically, you can't necessarily prove it archaeologically yeah. in certain cases. Um, Do you feel like you have to use faith? You, you don't necessarily have a choice? Absolutely you have to use faith. Hmm. You absolutely have to use faith and you really don't have a choice. Now that can open up a, a huge can of worms and you can go in a zillion different directions with that. But uh, I'm going to just kind of let the conversation go a little bit further here. You have to have faith in order to believe in a God. You need it. You have to have it. It's a requir requirement, would you say? Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Faith is a requirement. You have to have it to conclude that Paul's God exists. Okay, so we've established what faith is, and we've established how important it is. We've established that faith is way more important to him than evidence, even though evidence is important to him, because when he sees something, it helps bolster his belief. Without it, what's the use of believing in anything? Wow, so you need, you need faith to conclude that the God exists, it sounds Absolutely. like. Do you see what I'm doing there is, when he says something, I'm basically just repeating back what he is saying in a slightly different manner. I'm being a mirror to Paul. I'm, I'm, t I'm very intently listening to what he's saying, and I'm, I'm reformulating the sentence to match what he's saying, and repeating it back to him. So he, the, he can either ag agree or disagree. If he disagrees, then I've misunderstood it. If he agrees, then I'm right on track, and I'm reinforcing or, or basically repeating back to him what what he's saying, in a manner to get him to think about what he's saying because I've had a lot of people say boy you know when, when you when you repeat it back to me it just sounds weird or it sounds crazy or but it's not you know and it, it's really getting them to think so repeating back what the person is telling you is critical you must do that 
Do you use faith in any other aspect of your life besides concluding that the God exists? Everything that I do. Now, I love asking this question. You'll, you'll probably get sick of me asking it, but when somebody says faith is important to them and they use it to conclude that the, that the, the Bible's real or their God exists, ask them, you know, what are their time? If this, if this method is so reliable and so important, do you find yourself using it in other aspects of your life? I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust so in I him. have to have faith to believe that anything that happens in my life is for my good. What do you mean by that? that? Well, I believe that he takes care of me. Okay, I said, what do you mean by that? I'll often use that response as well. If somebody says something rather profound or deep, or even just a deepity, like a Daniel Dennett deepity, where it's just silly and it's you have no idea what they're saying, they probably are just so used to just saying that phrase or that sentence and never been questioned on it. But a simple, what do you mean by that? Or can you explain that further? That really jolts them a little bit. They may not have ever been asked that before. And it really, it challenges them to re-examine what they just said and if it really has any meaning. And when they repeat it, usually what you get back to the question of what do you mean by that is something a little bit more understandable. Hmm. I believe that he guides me and he leads me to what he expects me to do as a Christian. And you've and concluded that Jesus works in your life because of faith? Mm -hmm. sure. Do you use faith for, I don't know, here at school? Absolutely. Now, looking back on this, I wish I had spent a few, a few more seconds or maybe even a full minute with Paul learning about what he does at the school. He said very quickly, and we were talking over each other at the start, um, but don't ever underestimate the importance of having a just a very good, friendly conversation about something completely different. You know, I could have asked him, well, what does he teach at the school? Or what is his role there? How long has he been there? In this example that I'm about to give, when I'm, I'm about to give an example of an extreme where he actually loses his job from the school, that's, that's quite risky because I don't know his background all that much. He may be a janitor there for all I know. So uh, spend a little time getting to know the person up front. And what you'll find is that you can start leveraging those little tidbits of information you've learned about them in the conversation when it comes to giving examples like this. You do? Absolutely. I believe. Can you give me like your best example? My best example? Yeah. Ask for their best example, all right? Don't just say, give me an example. When you ask for the best example, the, the assumption there is that they're gonna give you something that means the most to them, and it's their strongest argument. It's their strongest foot forward. If you get them to put their strongest foot forward and you're able to get them to, re to reflect on it and think about it and maybe even start wondering if it's really reliable, then you've really made a tremendous impact on them. As I, as I try to, uh, let's say for instance, if I apply for a different position here at the university, mm -hmm. uh, I have faith that God knows whether or not that position that I'm applying for is best for me and is best for my life hmm. um, and therefore I use faith to believe and trust that if I don't get the job that it's okay he knew that I shouldn't have gotten it this is probably one of the best examples that I've received from a believer explaining how they use faith usually you get uh, I can't think of anything offhand right now so I was a little surprised that he was able to come up with something so good and relative and uh, so you just have to go with the flow with those things that's fine. 
Would you look at any outcome that happens in your life and just chalk it up to God working in it and it's just just everything confirmation works. of your faith? Everything works. If you were to, you know, let's say, I don't know, let's say you walk back and you got an email that you were being let go today. Would you would you say that that would you chalk that up to faith as well? Absolutely, I believe that it's the wow. best thing if that's what God wants, and I will I will take the next avenue that He wants me to go. If it is my job today or not, it makes no difference. I will hmm. continue on doing and and uh, following Him where He wants me to be in my life. Okay, so Paul has just very eloquently explained how he uses faith, and regardless of the outcome, whether he gets a promotion or he gets a raise or he loses his job. He's going to view that as God working in his life, and that just bolsters the faith that he uses to conclude that the God exists. It's like I've had that it almost sounds like there. It almost sounds like there's nothing that you don't use faith. No, really, there's not. You have to have faith in everything that you do. And you believe that? Did you hear that pause? He was saying you have to have faith for everything that you do. Now I paused for about 2.5 seconds. I should have paused for 10 seconds, okay? The longer the pauses, the better. And that's one thing that I really struggle with. It's, I feel like there's a sense of urgency, number one, because there's a clock running. Number two, there's this you know, very imposing man standing three feet in front of me, probably in a hurry to get to his next appointment. You're talking about something that's maybe somewhat uncomfortable. And I'm worried that by pausing, it's going to open the door for him to say, well, you know, it's time for me to go, or there's some interruption of some sort. But you have to fight through those urges to want to talk and just shut up. Because when, you, when you're quiet and you listen, those last words that Paul says will echo in his head. And he'll be thinking about it and really wondering, does that really make sense? And by filling the gaps with just talk, you're missing out on key opportunities for self-reflection. And that's one thing that I could have done a lot better here. What you come to know is true, is correct, because you use faith? Absolutely. Hmm. What might you say to somebody, let's say, it's, that's a Hindu that maybe believes in Vishnu? Okay, I love the comparison uh, going on here. Uh, I'm dropping the Hindu, as somebody once said in the comments. I'm now trying to introduce I'm going to introduce a another side of this I want Paul to to reflect on how his faith is any different the faith that he uses is any different than somebody of a completely different religion and they use faith to conclude that vision is real that I can't I can't judge it and I don't judge and, I, and I wouldn't be asking to judge that right almost always now it seems like people say well when they're asked about this question I'm not judging them. They have a complete right to be believing what they believe. And that's not what the question is about. I'm not asking Paul to judge the Hindu or to judge, judge the Muslim. I'm not asking him to con condemn their right to be believing what they want to believe. But almost knee-jerk reaction, I see this time and time again. It's getting to the point now where I'm going to start rephrasing this question to say, let's think about the Hindu. Now, while we might both being in complete agreement that they have the right to practice whatever they want to in what way is his belief true to sort of circumvent the possible knee-jerk response from the interlocutor to say well that's just his belief and I, I can't judge him um, I, they have a faith in, in a supreme being too yeah uh, who's more who's more correct in that situation well I 
in my faith, I believe that what I what I believe is more correct. I'm sure he believes that what he believes is more correct. And how would we discover who is who is actually more correct? Well, does it matter? I freaking love that question. Paul just nails it, right? That Hindu thinks that he's correct, and I think that I'm correct. And I ask him, how could we, how could you and I, Paul, how could we working together go ahead and discover that that Hindu was more correct than you, or that you're more correct than the Hindu? You'll also start to notice his body language. He's pulling back. He's uh, kind of, I think he starts crossing his arms here pretty soon. His hands are in his pocket. He's, he's physically recoiling from me, uh, just a tad here, and I, th I find that fascinating. I think it, so. It sounds like through, this, through these questions you're trying, you yourself are questioning that there is mm -hmm. even a God, and that's what this is all about. Right. Okay, so we've reached the five-minute mark. This is the point where I've agreed to start talking or answer any questions that, that Paul might have for me. So, you know, I want to stick to my word and do that. Right there at the tail end, though, if you, if you caught it, he was asking, does it really matter who's, if, if the Hindu is right or the Christian is right? And uh, it's kind of hard for me to, to, to hear it, but I, I think I say, I do. I do find it important. I, I want to know things that are true. I think we end up talking about that a little bit more here. Like for me, I would like to believe, uh, we just hit our timer. Okay. For me, I would like to believe things that are true. If that Hindu is correct, mm -hmm. I would like to discover that. If you are correct, I would like to discover that as well. Well, I, I, I challenge you to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and I will go. Okay, so Paul asking me his question gave me an opportunity to answer it, but in a way that allowed me to illustrate that I want to believe things that are true, that it's important for me to go through life believing in things that are true. If the Hindu is right, I want to know about it. If he's right, I would like to know about it. It was a great opportunity for me to illustrate my honesty and my sincerity and in a way model that behavior to encourage him to do the same in return for me. Now what he's getting into now, and you'll find this when you do your, your, your street epistemology conversations, sometimes you get a little detour. And what's coming up now is a detour where he's asking me if I read a book. I'll go ahead and play it. Back to a gentleman, um, if I remember his name right off the top of my head, um, who was a devout atheist. I believe there was absolutely no God. Mm -hmm. And he was challenged to prove, either scientifically or archaeologically or any other way he wanted to, that there was no God. To actually go out and, and, and actively try to prove there was no God. Mm -hmm. Do you, you think that could be done? He did it. <laughs> I love that question. You know, this, this guy went out to prove that there was no God. And, I mean, that's ludicrous. And I think that Paul's misunderstanding, or he's, he's forgotten probably what the premise of the book was. I really doubt that anyone was able to prove that there was no God. And I, I probably would have heard about it by now. Um, and instead of asking him... You know, or saying, you know, are you crazy or that's impossible, you can't prove a negative, you know, the typical knee-jerk counter-apologetic response. I just asked him, do you think that that's possible? You always want to try to turn it and, and get the person to reveal his side of things. And I thought I was pretty successful in that here. He proved there was no God? Yeah, there's two books you need to read. Evidence, he proved there, he proved there was no God? There's two books that he wrote. Mm -hmm. One
I was so incredulous that if you noticed the first time I said that, he proved there was no God. Like I couldn't believe it. And then I, I, as soon as I said it, I realized the tone was improper. You don't want to be accusatory. You don't want to be snide. You don't want to be, you know, rude. And uh, my brain heard myself say that, and I repeated it in a, in a gentler nature, in a gentler, in a, a much softer way. The damage was already done. So I was trying to recover from that, but I thought it was interesting that I that I did that. It's called evidence that demands a verdict. Mm -hmm. His name is Josh McDowell. Okay. Okay. You may have. You may have I, ha I have heard of that. Yeah. Evidence that demands a verdict and more evidence that okay. demands a verdict. Okay. So read those books. I will. I will. And actually, I've read one of them. Have you? Now that's a little risky there. If you've read the book, even if you've read the book, which in this case I have, it's risky because it gives Paul an opportunity to ask you a specific question about it, maybe a key point or a key takeaway from the book. And if you're not able to you know, come back with the right answer, it could jeopardize the trust that he might have in you. Um, it just opens you up for a potential pitfall. So I would suggest that if somebody offers to, you know, for you to read a book, be sincere, tell them that you'll look into it, you know, write down the person's name or the name of the book or the author and, uh, and just take it offline. Don't open yourself up to possibly being caught in a, in a trap there. Mm -hmm. so, so back to my question to you. Yes. Are you a Christian? Okay. Paul has not forgotten that he wants to find out if I'm a Christian or not. And here we are six minutes and 15 seconds into the talk. And he's still from the remember that very first question he wanted to know. Well, he hasn't forgotten, and he wants he wants to find out here. Now I'll answer it, but I answer it in a way that turns it around back to him to get him to talk, to get him to reveal his point of view. I'm not a Christian, okay. but if it could be illustrated to me that the method that you're using to conclude that your God is real is reliable in some way, again, you're you're, you're basing I, your belief and system on science to prove. One way or another, absolutely for sure, there is or is not a God, and it can't be done. Uh, God cannot be proven through science. You need faith. Probably not. Is that you right? Have to have faith. I love that right there. All, all, everything's out of the bag at this point, right? It can't be proven. My God belief can't be proven. You have to have faith. You need to have faith. And uh, I think that's just such a telling part of the conversation. And if we had ended the conversation at, at the five minute mark, we never would have reached this, this particular hurdle. And uh, you'll notice that I repeat it back to him. I want him to hear what he's telling me. You hmm. have to have faith in certain, certain what, what, is, what do you find so reliable about faith when I mean, that Hindu might use the same thing, Paul, to conclude that vision is real? Uh, he believes in God too. A lot of things going on there. I used his name, Paul. He took a step back. Did you hear his voice waver just a little bit? He's clearly agitated, uh, rattled, maybe a little... Une he's definitely uneasy about the discussion right now. There's a lot of things going on, n not just his, you know, his verbal characteristics, but the way that he's standing and the way that he's moving. Mm -hmm. Almost Do you every, think... I would say that every religion on Earth, other than, other right. than the belief, other than Satanism, right, right, right. believes... I, listen, and even Satanism. I understand that God. these people believe in these gods. Now, this is where I did something bad. He was talking to me, and I interrupted him. Wait, 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 wait. Listen, Paul, Paul. You know, I should have just let the guy talk. He was starting to talk about Satanism. I mean, what a great example if I could have used that to illustrate and sort of expand on the whole Hindu thing that Hindus use faith 
you know, Christians use faith, Satanists maybe use faith, you know, that could really just drive home the point that the method that he's using to conclude that his belief is true is no different than all those others. But I cut him off and I shouldn't have done that. I should have just shut up and let him talk. Notice also his arms are crossed, right? He's leaning back, he's crossing his arms. He's clearly uncomfortable at this point, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're at 100% too. Mm -hmm. I fully support their right to believe that, okay. right? Yeah, absolutely. But I want to know who's more correct. Does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter if the Hindu's correct? Does it matter if the Christian is correct? Well, hell yeah, it matters. But, you know, as much as you want to scream that, you want to, you know, maintain a civil discourse, right? And carry the conversation further and, and get him to reflect on that, which is what I do here next. I think the question you should hmm. say is, does it matter? Does it matter? That's do you think it matters? Do you think it matters, Paul? Uh, I do, because as a Christian, mm -hmm. I believe that through Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but that's my religious belief. Right. Am I going to judge a Hindu or them or Islam? Because I don't know all the I'm answers. I'm not asking you to judge them. Well, I don't know all the answers. So. There we go again. You know, I, I'm not going to judge them. They have the right to believe what they believe. That's not what this is about. The question is, the question is, does it matter if what you're believing in is true or not? You're asking yeah. me, do I think they're correct or not? I, can, right. I don't know. You don't know. I, I can only go down my road to my belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and trust that I'm right. Paul. If I'm not. Paul, please listen. I don't know if I'm right. That's freaking huge to have Paul say that when he was so adamant at the very beginning that he's at the 100% mark on his belief. For him to admit that, I can't know if the Hindu is more correct than me. I can't know if I'm more correct than the Hindu. If the conversation were to end right now, it would have been it would have been great. You know, it, it would have been fantastic. Now we do push the conversation a little bit further, and it kind of devolves a little bit. But I'd say if we were to sort of ch chart out the you know a little bar chart or a line chart of the progress of this conversation. I think we've just hit the peak of it with that with that uh, declaration from Paul. It is what it is. Paul, if you cannot know if they're more right than you, can you be at the 100 percent mark? I'm positive that my God is my my God is real, and I'm positive. He's positive that his God is real. He completely av avoids answering my question. Now I flubbed it a little bit. I stuttered. Uh, when I was asking him, if you can't know if your belief is true, if you can't know if the Hindu is more tr more correct than you, how can you possibly be at the 100% mark? How? And I wish that he would have just stopped talking and listened and just thought about it. But I get the sense that he's not interested in really evaluating what he's come to believe. I think this conversation has really shaken him up. You'll see at the end that he can't resist turning back to the camera and yelling a few things, which is unfortunate. I think he, he's so content in maintaining the belief that he won't even open himself up to examining if he could be mistaken on it. And that's really, in a way, sad. Now, it's not necessarily all Paul's fault, right? I mean, a lot of people do this for a variety of things and not just because of the God belief. But this is a very, very telling, a very important part of the conversation.
and that's why I wanted to spend so much time on it here. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of this universe because He died on the cross for our sins over 2,000 years ago. And you believe that because of? I believe that because of absolute total faith. You see what I did there? I said, and you believe that because of? I didn't say, and you believe that because of faith. I didn't say, and you believe that because of faith and the evidence that makes you think that the faith is right. No, leave it an open-ended question. Let him fill in the blank. And I believe that there's archaeological and spiritual evidence. But the evidence you said at the start Josephus. was... Have you read the book of Josephus? Mm -hmm. Okay, now he's... Now he's talking about evidence again, which is telling in itself. If you think about it, it could illustrate that we've really, in a way, pointed out the deficiencies of concluding that something is true or real because of faith. If it was reliable and if he was confident on that method, we'd still be discussing faith, but we're not doing that now. He's shifting gears and he's going back to evidence, the first thing that he led off with. Extremely telling that he chose to do that. And now he's bringing up Josephus, which this is where I, I, I use an example that's too specific and I find myself that that need to bring up the counter-apologetics rears its ugly head sometimes for me where I can't resist pointing out that the common argument that people use to believe that the Bible's true because of this guy named Josephus who in the 100th century or so, 100 years after Jesus' death wrote something. Um, I can't, I have a hard time, even, even to this day, I should have just let that go over my head because that's a pitfall, that's a landmine. But I get caught in it here. He talked about Jesus Christ. So we have we have historical okay. evidence that Jesus is. So now we're kind of exist. we're kind of drifting into faith from faith to evidence, which Absolutely. is a little interesting. There has to be some evidence too, and there has been archaeological proof in in the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. There has to be some evidence there. It's not just all about faith. And you remember you said before it's all about faith. Mm -hmm. They found chariot wheels in the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of that. Sea. Let me ask. Let me ask you something. If somebody were to reveal to you that you know, I don't know, several people that studied the historicity of the Bible could illustrate that maybe what you've come to accept as evidence in Josephus was, I don't know, let's just say one was a forgery and one didn't have anything to do with yes. real Jesus. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was a very, very specific example and it really tipped my hand to Paul to illustrate that I know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to Josephus. What I probably should have said is, because he's, now he's starting to get into evidence, you know, I probably should have just ended the conversation because we ended it, we, we were just at a, such a high point when we just basically illustrated how unreliable faith is. Uh, but he shifted gears to evidence and I went along with him. Uh, what I should have done at that point is probably just concluded the conversation or if I wanted to go down the evidence discussion, I could have said something like, uh, in what way is the evidence that you've come to believe is true falsifiable? Or, you know, what would it take for you to conclude that the Bible was mistaken in some way? I got into a very, very specific argument, a very, very specific example, and Paul's not buying it. Now you're starting to get in. Look at that. Look at that. He's actually, like, starting to walk away from me at this point. He, he's completely, like, he's ready to go. For yeah. example. No. Would you accept the information? Would you, uh, would you I would want to know where the uh, evidence came from. Okay. You would listen to it. 
Uh, probably, probably not, because I know where you're going wow. with this interview. You're going with this interview to try to disprove Christianity, and I will never, never disown my God, because to disown my God. Okay, now he's he's completely closed off. He's frustrated. Um, he's getting ready to leave, and as much as we we hit a high point on the discussion with faith, in the end, I do think that this conversation was a failure to a certain extent because if Paul walks away from the conversation closed off and just as entrenched as he was when we started the conversation or even more so then I failed if I happen to see Paul again on campus and he completely ignores me or flips me off or you know just refuses to speak with me that's not gonna help that's not gonna help any of us out uh, so it's, it's, it's hard to say if I made an impact on him. I get the sense that I pushed it too far with him. And, you know, I, I don't think that this probably was a very successful one. Now, I might be mistaken. I don't know. One of the reasons why I like going to this location is that I'm seeing people that I've talked to again and again and again. And there's a chance for a follow-up interview. So hopefully I'll have a second interview with Paul and we can talk about it a little bit more. But... The way things ended here, I get the sense that he probably will not want to speak with me again. And that would be unfortunate. Before man, he would disown me before heaven. And I will not allow that to happen. Have a nice day. Bye, Paul. Nice meeting you. I hope you've come to the truth. The real truth. Okay, and then he walks away. Classic fight or flight response. Now, we were at the, I don't know, eight minute mark there. So, you know, he, st he stayed well beyond the three minutes. Uh, it was a great conversation. There's a lot of things that I think that I did right. And there's some few things there that I think that I could have improved on. And that's the big part of it. Like, get out there and do this. You know, it's not gonna be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Even just getting 10% of it right is way more than just sitting home and watching this video and, and and taking some pleasure out of just watching it. I want I want to inspire you to get out there and do this. You don't have to carry a camera, um, but if you do have a recording device of some kind and if that's allowed in your area, I would recommend that you do it if only for your own benefit of improving. Okay, so that was my deconstruction video of Paul. I hope that you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed putting it together. If you have any suggestions from the type of background that's behind me or the audio or things that you would like to hear me talk about, or if there's a particular encounter that you've watched me do and you want to see me deconstruct it, by all means, let me know in the comments below and I'll take some time and I'll do that. Thank you very much for watching and I wish you all the best. Street epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.